What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. So, just to figure I'd give you guys a heads up. Um, currently going over some brand... I'm going to rebrand the show once again, because I like to do that every now and then because I get bored. Please excuse the beep from my cell phone there. I'll try to cut it out if I can. Also, Tom, my cat... Uh, likes to, whenever I start these, just bump his head against my microphone arm. It's his favorite thing to do. Or step on my computer. Hey, Tom, just get off my computer, dude. You're not welcome there. So, sorry about that. Um, so, before we get started the show, so this show is the first half of the second... Let's try speaking English again. Of the second car podcast with Hunter Motts. Or Hunter Metz is 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 that his name? Hunter Metz. Uh, apparently, he came on your show, Joe, and was talking about me. Sorry, that's my uh, Derek Zoolander slash Sam Harris impersonation. Anyways, um, so Hunter and I talk about a lot of things. Um, actually, had really just started thinking about. Um, I was thinking about my situation in regards to uh, affirmative action. I don't know why I can never remember that term. So in regards to affirmative action. So um, we get into that because a lot of, for me, I don't, I don't know if I'd be doing this show had um, I not gone to a college that had open enrollment. So I kind of, I kind of go through those things. And we talk about some other things too. We just go down the rabbit, rabbit we just go down some rabbit holes because we were in a car driving for three hours, and figured we might as well turn it into a conversation and some content that we can put out there. Um, the second half of the show, and I, so essentially the full show is on Patreon. Now, if you guys want to become patrons, it's only a dollar to get content from me. So I'm actually working with a couple people from uh, Mixed Mental Arts. Uh, community and they're actually helping me rebrand and they're helping me redo the patron so big shout out to uh, Nicole um, P. Lee and also Matt Madonna so big shout out to them Um, so should have some new swag maybe some swag coming out guys I don't know if you want to get some sample hour swag shoot me an email or shoot me a Facebook message or something I like it when you guys talk to me I mean that's why there's an Ohio GSD crew. Um, well, that's mainly because of Greg Burns and everybody else was already hanging out before I started hanging out. But I feel like a lot of those dudes listen to my show and they're super cool. So when I hear these smart people tell me how much they like my show, it makes me feel really special. So big shout out to all of them. Um, so yeah, so there should be some rebranding coming out here soon. And also, yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. Um, so if you guys want to go to patreon.com slash sample hour and you guys can become patrons now outside of that, this podcast is brought to you by audibletrial.com forward slash sample hour. So I'm not really happy with this affiliate because they haven't paid me and I don't know. So if you guys want to become Audible Trials, I have $15 that they owe me because one person has done it. Um, but if you guys want to get a free Audible book, um, you automatically get a free Audible book if you're starting up an account. I'm not going to lie to you. 
But if you want to support the show and do that, you can. Um, right now, I'm reading a couple books. Um, Born Fighting. It's the history of the Scotch-Irish with Jim Webb. And then the other book is The Quest for Cosmic Justice by Thomas Sowell. So I'm probably going to finish the Thomas Sowell book before the Jim Webb book just because he he was writing about social justice warriors and everything before we called them social justice warriors. And uh, just big on a big Thomas Sowell kick. So um, here's another fun fact, guys. If you have a library card, go to Overdrive, download Overdrive. There's a bunch of Audible books you can listen to for free. Now, if you want to get creative and you want to have a lot of fun with this, figure out all your friends across the country that have library cards that aren't in your city because they're, you know, across the country or even across the world or anything that supports overdrive or that overdrive supports. And you then you can get a big free digital collection. So I've listened to a lot of audible audiobooks on there as well. Um Oh no, man! Audible's pretty expensive, so I know they're an affiliate, but they're just really not high on my list. So I'm going to tell you guys why I don't like Audible, because people will give me compliments for being real. Uh, there's also something you could do on Audible. So if you just want to get a bunch of credits, I don't know if it's still available, but I did it. You could buy gift card credits for way less than what the subscription was on eBay. And it works. I don't know if they're still there. I don't know if they got wind of it. Um, but you can do that as well. And then you don't have to pay them fourteen ninety five a month. Because it's kind of a ripoff. So uh, we'll see if they actually listen to this show. And if I'm still an affiliate after this episode. So that was pretty fun. I had a lot of fun doing that there. Um, now let's talk about some stuff that I actually believe in. So I have an audible account, so I do believe in that, but man, they're just pissing me off. So I'm just, I'm just kind of done with them. Free books though on audible still. I think I'm just going to do that, but they're really pissing me off. So, um, naturesimagefarm.com. I'm a big fan of naturesimagefarm.com. Um, I have bought one and a half pigs. I have eaten multiple chickens from there. I've butchered, I've helped butcher chickens. I smoked my first Thanksgiving turkey. It was actually the first turkey I ever purchased and the first turkey I ever cooked. It was from naturesimagefarm.com. So I can't thank the Burnses enough for the opportunities they give me personally to cultivate a better relationship with my food. Um, besides that, you know, there's there's lots of people, I included, the first place they ever, you know, killed their own food was with the uh, at the Burns Farmstead. So, big shout out to naturesimagefarm.com. Um, if you guys are interested in Bocking 4 or 14 of Comfrey, uh, just use code word sample and Greg Burns will ship it to you anywhere for free. So, I think that might be internationally included too. I don't know. Greg will tell me or tell you. But let's say U.S. domestic, um, possibly Canada. I don't know. Uh, it gets a little bit hairy when you go international. Um, if you're in the Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan area, and you want to come out to Greg Burns Farmstead and get your turkey from Greg Burns, you definitely can. So I actually tried to get a, I think I tried to get a turkey from Greg before I even met him. But yeah, I did. I just realized that. I asked Greg if he had extra turkeys. 
Um, I think he said, yeah, I did do that. Holy cow. He said no, or he said yes, and then I, I wasn't going to make it out there. Um, so it's the first time. So it was two years ago. Last year, I got a turkey from him. This year, I'm getting another turkey from him. Um, he's going with a different heritage breed this year, so we actually talk about that on the show. Um, he went with a more larger-breasted bird, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, him not wanting the uh, not wanting the the last birds to continuously poop on his roof. Um, so they were they would have roost like thirty feet in the air. It was they're like they're an impressive animal, and like I res- we respect them as animals, but. If you have to worry about them killing your kittens and stuff like that, it's not very fun. So turkeys are pretty vicious, and they'll do that stuff. So moving on, Grant Schultz gave me a glowing review and thanked me for having a real podcast. So big shout out to Grant Schultz. Um, Good friend of the show. Hopefully we can get him back on soon. Um, Big, big fan of Grant's. Uh, So... I've also supported and used bought trees. I bought a hundred chestnut trees from Grant. Um, had a lot of luck with all of them. I mean, I uh, one thing that worked really well uh, was I did kind of stun them, and they worked well. And some of them died. But a lot of that was my fault, but I think most people that planted them had a lot of success. Um, so if you go to newfarmsupply.com, anything that Grant has on that web page, you can actually get. You get 10% off and free shipping if you use code word sample. So similar deal. So if you guys are into planting trees and into having food for your grandchildren, um, I think both these two sites they're I'm you know I'm a big fan of. I wouldn't have them be a part of it. I wouldn't, you know, support them if I didn't believe in them. So uh newfarmsupply.com, code word sample, get free shipping and get 10% off. Um Moving on, so ProfitableUrbanFarming.com. I've spoken a lot about this affiliate over the years um, because it's been a couple years. I've been an affiliate with Curtis for two years now, I believe. So uh, I'm a big fan of of Profitable Urban Farming as well. Um, It's been my base point. Uh, You couldn't go to college and pay for that information. If you did, it costs you a whole lot more. And, you know, like Diego Footer just came out here and shot some footage. I mean, the biggest thing, guys, is it's a starting point. It's a reference point. It's some place to where you get started at. Like I've joked about a lot. Like, I, you know, I, I do refer to that course. I mean, I do make jokes like, yeah, I didn't I didn't look at that in the course. There's a lot of information in there. I mean, they're, they're updating it all the time, too. So, I mean, it's it's always a good reference point. Like before I sell anything to a restaurant, I take a look at it. And then I compare it to my market. And if I need to add money, I do. Um, so I, I think, you know, but normally you just are guessing. Um, and that's uh, playing a guessing game isn't isn't the most fun, especially in business. Sometimes it's more fun to play a guessing game after you talk to somebody else that's already doing what you're doing. Um, so big fan of that. If you guys want to save $100 on that course, it's code word or not code word sample. There's a link at the top of the show notes. Um, that's not at the top of the show notes. There's a link in the show notes and you can save a hundred dollars or you can turn it for the payment plan. And that is what I did. 
And then finally, if you just want to contribute to the show, uh, there's a PayPal link that probably doesn't work because I don't know what the hell PayPal's doing. Um, so if you're trying to do that and it doesn't work uh, and you don't want to become a patron, just uh, shoot me a message on Facebook or send me an email and I'll send you a link. Cryptocurrencies. Um, I do have a pretty extensive wallet now and I'll accept pretty much any cryptocurrency you would like to contribute to me. Uh, I have a couple episodes coming out soon. Uh, I had Crazy Fred on and we talked a lot about uh, a lot more about his mining operation. And then I just had my good friend Daryl Becker on and we went into detail about how to get started with cryptocurrency. Uh, we talked about what it is, what wallets I use, what my strategies are, what my thoughts are, what Daryl's thoughts are. Um, and I had a good time talking to him. So guys, this is a super long intro. I hope you enjoyed it. If not, I'm really sorry, but not, you know, yeah, just tip fast forward. Okay, guys, uh, you take care, and I look forward to bringing you more episodes soon. Hit record now because we can live from Marysville, Ohio. Also, because you have that much confidence in your driving skills. I do. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, I've I've been through this part a lot, so we're taking the. Uh, you also drive barefoot. I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel like you. I personally, I like that too because you get far better grip on. Uh, well, especially if you're wearing flip flops. Yeah. Flip flops suck. So we're wearing shorts and flip flops today. Because it's so, I don't have AC, and we're so committed to bringing people podcasts <laughs> that wow. we're like we're gonna be comfortable. Uh, well, I mean, we're gonna know that we're gonna be uncomfortable hotboxing in your car. Yeah, and then we're gonna try and offset that by wearing shorts and flip flops. That's true. Yeah. So uh, the end of uh, well, so it's the end of the meetups. Or, well, I guess you're, you'll probably have another meetup in Detroit. I'm guessing you and Derek will hang out some more. Well, we're going to, yeah, we're going to, there's the speech tomorrow, and then there's a meet and greet after uh, the Detroit meetup. What if we crack the windows? Or the Detroit Economic Club speech. We can try doing that. See if it fucks with the sound. Yeah, I don't think it would. What's great is I don't have headphones, so I don't even know. Well, presumably you can see the levels, though. Yeah, maybe I, have to, I should give this to you so yeah. you can see. Oh, God, this is a lot of responsibility, and I don't know that my track record would make anybody think that so I should be in charge of this. So you just need to make sure it doesn't go to red. Okay, well, we're not doing that, so that's fine. Yeah, it should be fine. I okay. think we'll be fine. There's yeah. noise cancellation on these microphones. Yeah, I'm going to give this back to you. So cool. it's now your fault and your responsibility. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather have it. I'd rather have that. See, that's the thing. You have to decide shoulders. what you're going to be responsible for and what you're not going to be responsible I try for. To, I try to be responsible for as much as possible. But see, well, I, I think that's... In my life. Maybe that's admirable, but I think you have to be discerning about what you're going to oh, be yeah. responsible for and then sure. what other people will be responsible for. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, so having the relationships. Like, ultimately, if I have this relationship with Rich, yeah. and Rich messes something up, I'm still responsible. Yeah. Because I put that uh, trust in Rich. Trust in yep. Rich. So there's no re. So it, I don't ever 
you know, that's something that we talk about. Like, I can't get upset about it. Like, if something bad happens, it's like, well, I mean, it's... You bet on Rich. I bet on Rich, and I bet on me, and I encourage Rich to bet on Rich, and Rich bets on me. I think that's absolutely correct. So, yeah, yeah ultimately, you are responsible for everything, but you have uh, decided to trust certain people yeah. or to essentially offshore that responsibility places. Absolutely. Uh, what is that? It's uh, interpersonal. No, it's not... Uh, um, there's a word. There's a word. It's not uh, independence. It's interdependence. We need yeah. to seek to be interdependent. Well, humans are massively interdependent. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, uh, have you ever seen the guy who tried to make a toaster from scratch? No. Uh, so there was an art project, and this guy decided he's going to make a toaster from scratch. And, you know, the number of man hours that it required was insane. And then the toaster that came out was freaking awful and terrible. Uh, because the point is we have a massively interdependent system. Yeah. The ability to extract oil, refine oil into petrochemicals, make plastics, you know, fashion the metal, all of that. The idea of anybody being, you know, uh, truly independent it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, have you ever seen the documentary Manufactured Landscapes? No. It's pretty interesting. It shows, like, in China, like, all the pollution in China right now. And it, mm -hmm. and it, and it starts, this guy's like, you don't see what they're, what they're making, but he's in this factory. And they're giving this talks about uh, basically, like, why you don't it's like this huge group of people and this person climbs up on a platform is, and is just basically reading off numbers and mistakes and then you look and it's all these people making stuff by hand and you can't figure out what it is and then at the end you see that they're just irons and then you see like all the landscapes because they take all of our scrap stuff and they like we just kind of give it to them and then they get all the parts they want and then they just kind of dump it in parts of their country and it shows like so the manufactured landscapes are like all the pollution wow it's it's pretty fascinating to watch so it's uh i mean but it's i mean shit we we probably we western culture did that years ago that was something we talked about yesterday is we always had like a uh western culture always relies on either the lower class to to clean up i mean that was kind of like the original recycling or the, the people that are in a different phase to use our garbage. But we don't account for what happens to that garbage afterward. Well, this is, I sense. mean, this is, you know, essentially you divide into tribes. Yeah. The tribe uh, discards resources, yeah. calls it trash, yep. and then somebody exploits that ecological niche. Yes. Um, so it's, you know, it's just like any organism, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, uh, maybe the real thing is, is that the, uh, the haves should start thinking about their resources more carefully and the have nots should start thinking about what are the real opportunities for them? Is yeah. it just exploiting the throwaways of the haves or is it, you know, evolving a better culture together? Probably evolving a better culture together. That's my vote. I would say, yeah, that's my vote too. So, Hunter, what has your thoughts been? Not to change the subject, but I just thought of that for some reason because we were talking about the uh, toaster and I thought of the iron. Um, 
what is what is your thoughts of this experience so far in uh, the Rust Belt and in the Midwest? Well, I think that um, you know, I mean, this 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 because you got you got two contrasts yesterday in Detroit yep. and Columbus, Detroit, Michigan, and Columbus, Ohio. Well, I think you know, I mean, the the landscape and what's going on, uh, it reminds me a lot of Kansas City and the Midwest, and I think that you know more than anything, what I've really taken away from the last two days is uh resources versus resourcefulness yeah and i think that a big part of it is is that i've had a very unrealistic experience because i've been hanging out with mixed metal artists (laughs) and people from the school sucks project and you know rich um and you know i mean it's a very resourceful crew and it's a crew that is committed to investing in their communities, improving themselves, learn on, learn, relearn. And so I think that's the point. I think I've been in a little bubble that has more or less insulated me from what is the experience of most humans who are stuck in a state of helplessness um, in, the, in the Rust Belt right now because the environment has changed and their culture has not updated to keep track and keep pace with it. Yeah, and I think, um, like, I mean, Columbus, Ohio is, is, is like a, uh, it's definitely an anomaly within the Midwest. But then, like, we're now, I'm taking you the non-highway way through these small towns. Um, and you can see, I mean, there's still, like, the old school style of community. And, but, I mean, we'll go through these towns and there's not a whole lot going on. No. I mean, thankfully... They're probably great towns to live in if you have a gig that you can do on the internet. Um, but I, it's I always go through these towns and wonder like how do where do these people have to commute to to make their money? Like where do they have to go to to pay their bills? Well, and that's the real question: is you know what are we going to do to pay our bills? Yeah. Um, and how are we going to make a living? And how are we going to? provide value um, because humans need that they need to be productive members of society in order to feel worthwhile absolutely Um, and then how are we going to have the refuge and financial security to have the confidence to go out and explore Um, and so I think that's I mean this is sort of the conversation we were having before we started recording is that that's really a that's a big problem it's a big problem for humanity worldwide and, you know, that's not something that a bunch of lone wolves can figure out on their own. No. It's really going to take forming a pack. Yeah, and I think it's uh, like, or you were going to say something else. So No, that was, that was my big insight. Well, I'm done, so I, Drew. I've run out of material. <laughs> so personally, since I figured out um, through, like, the Death Squad shows and first meeting friends through the Internet and really kind of refining that, you know, we, we, we talked to Rich for a while, and it was you and I talking to Rich about tribalism and him coming over or getting over some, like, new atheist uh, perspectives that he didn't realize that's where he'd got them from. Like, isn't tribalism bad? Shouldn't we get rid of it? And we had to say, well, we, we can't get rid of it. I mean, that's what makes humans humans. But we just need to reform it and de- design it correctly. So... Well, and harness it. Yeah, and harness it. I mean, so I mean, so an example is, um, 
what I've what I've done. So most of my friends that I see on a daily basis, I met either via something that I found via the internet and going to try to become a part of that community and seek out those individuals that had similar things or just people that I met via the internet. And it usually, you know, and it, it rich was, was cool. It was cool with rich because rich, you know, I met him at permaculture voices, uh, three PV three and thought he was a cool guy, super hungover when I met him. And then we, uh, um, we were partaking and um, enjoying some apple cherry tobacco that one of my, my friends that I also met via the internet through a different community had hooked me up with. And, um, and yeah, and so we, we hung out and then he started listening to my show because he saw me interviewing all these people at the event because I, I brought my recording equipment because I was like, well, I got an opportunity to meet people and get some good interviews, so I'm going to do it. And that was a great way to network and get to know people, have real conversations, and um, help build my podcast audience. And so, you know, when I met Rich, he was he he had he had something to trade me that I was looking for, which was skilled labor, and I had something he needed, which was a place to live. And so it was a it was a no brainer. And something else that was interesting too is we were talking about. Um, I was shitting on these developed condos because I don't like them and they're not for me. But I just kind of say from that perspective, they're not for me. And you're like, well, that's the point of them, though, is because people don't have to be responsible for stuff. Yeah. And I was the only reason why I became of that mindset of being responsible was because it's like, well, I have to make sure I can be good on my trade with Rich. So that's why I bought my house and ended up saving me a lot of money. It was to make the dream work. So it's kind of weird when I had a, when I had that job that was supposed to be you know safe and secure and I was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year and only had to work be away from my home for fifty hours a week essentially. Um, I never felt in a secure enough position or in a position to where I wanted to plant my flag down and say, well, I'm going to buy this property and I'm going to be a hundred percent responsible for this property until you know that that mutual beneficial relationship that I acquired via the internet came in my life. I wouldn't have wanted to be in a position to actually take that, take on that responsibility. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's interesting for me, man. And then, you know, after the first farm season, I was, we've talked a lot this weekend and, and now it's Monday. We've talked a lot since you've gotten in town and I, I came and met up with you in Detroit, but it's, you know, a part of me knew I needed to focus on my business and get some things down and me and Rich had to get on the same page and figure out working together and how two humans that had really only hung out with each other one time before and in person could come together and, and, and build a business together essentially. And, um, you know, some things we did, which, which, which really helped us to, with a start is, and we talked about it on the last podcast was contracts and something rich reiterated last night was you know it wasn't it's not the contract itself it's having the conversation to build the mm-hmm. contract and 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 it just is it's totally changed the landscape so now you know the season's ending it's it's fall fall's coming uh golden rods out which means it's the last food that the bees the last flower the bees can pollinate and make honey from uh before it goes into winter time 
So that means, you know, you got to start getting prepped for the winter time. The winter is coming. So what better way to start that off than start focusing on the podcast again? So I couldn't really, I couldn't really give my full attention to the podcast because my attention needed to go to farming um, and building that business. And then I was like, was clear as day like well hunter you're gonna be in town how about i just drive up there and bring you down to columbus you can meet the columbus guys and you know it's my way to give to the community because it's like to me we already had that common ground uh we talked before multiple times and these guys haven't had that the opportunity to really communicate with you and then they can meet you in person see that you're just a normal human being and the emperor wears no clothes and you're just excited to meet them as they are to meet you. And when you see the emperor without his clothes, it is really a yeah. stunning sight. But it was really the emperor doesn't wear tennis shoes. He wears flip-flops with uh, a polo, <laughs> a Cambodian polo shirt and khakis. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the cool thing was, too, is that not many people are going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get on a plane for six hours, and then I'm going to go sit in a car for another six hours just so I can meet everybody. And I think, and I think that goes a long way too. You know, it's, it's, I think the, the thing that people don't, it's just like anything, right? Like I remember when, um, cause bachelor's degrees weren't as worthless yet when you and I went to college to get our bachelor's degrees that I didn't finish. Cause I felt, I mean, they were worthless, but I remember not going to an Ivy league school, going to a Mac school that had open enrollment. Um, and, you know, and I think I've thought a lot about Thomas Sowell and what he's talking about. Uh, why can't I ever remember the term that, uh, that lowers the standards for minorities? What it, uh, affirmative action? Yeah, when he talks about affirmative action. Dude, it's because you're so opposed to it that you like refuse <laughs> to let care. the idea enter your brain. Yeah, I don't even care. And actually, a teacher that changed my life, like uh, he's actually a politician now in, uh, uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada. His name's... Aaron Ford, big shout out to him. I don't think he'd listen to the show because I'm pretty anti-government and he's a politician. Um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure we have some very different views of the world now. But I, I'd like to think that he would, would like to listen to my opinions because he, he was that kind of guy. And he was a guy that came from the inner city of Dallas, who, you know, watched his dad set another man on fire and all this stuff. And actually did get into Texas A&M because of uh, affirmative action. And it did change his life. And it was something Thomas Sowell says is, no, I, I can't say that this is how it works for everybody. Yeah, it did help. It did help certain people, but it hurt a whole lot more. And and so it's it's not, you know, there's always the minority. There's always the outlier. And, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure Mr. Ford was an outlier. But for me, when I went to University of Toledo, I hadn't taken chemistry in a year and I got an A in chemistry. Um, actually, it was weird. The first half of chemistry, it was something weird that clicked for me with science that the, I never paid attention. I had this idea that I wasn't good at it. And then much like in the straight A conspiracy, once for some reason I realized there's one part of chemistry that I was good at. And then it made me realize that I was actually good at all of chemistry. I just was looking at it through the wrong lens. And I was telling myself I wouldn't be good at it. And then I figured out that I was actually really good at science. Because in physics the next year, I'd always get... When I actually put in work, I'd, I'd always get A's. Right. And um, 
and I liked it. So whatever I liked, I'd get an A in. Like it was that was pretty much how it always be, or an A minus. That is how it pretty much is for every human. For every human. So once I figured that out, um, I was taking. So I was I was gonna I, I I wanted to study psychology, and my friend's mom, who was a lawyer, and I know my 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 friend's parents made a lot more money than my parents. And at the time, I was tired of being a poor kid. I was tired of, of, of that. And so she had said, well, what are you going to do with psychology? Um, and I didn't know. And for some reason, that really deterred me because I only focused on jobs back then. And she said, you know what you should do, Drew, is you should become a pharmacist because they make pretty good money and apparently there's a high demand. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And so I kind of missed the boat with this pharmacy thing because... There was only six schools in the state that had pharmacy programs, and it, they just switched over to, the, to where you needed the PharmD. And I didn't realize it was some education scheme, which they did with physical therapy soon after too, where you you have to have a doctorate to be a physical therapist now too. Which why do you have to have a doctorate to get paid sixty grand a year? Like I don't I don't understand that. So, um, but anyway, so I go to school for pharmacy. And I don't have a good GPA, but I had, a, I had a high ACT score, which I didn't study for that either. And I got like a 27, which in my head, that was all I knew I needed to get an honors diploma in high school. And to me, it was a whole game. Like I, I took pride in the fact that I had like a two, six something GPA and I was getting an honors diploma. Because to me, it was like this bullshit game that I was playing. Like, yeah, look, I'm smart. Look at me. And I didn't even have to work hard. And this is how, and I got an honors diploma. And certain people I knew I got way better ACT score than and everything else. So I was feeling really high and mighty. And so then I, my mom didn't let me study to get this to, to take, because you could do Gen Chem 1, but you had to take a placement test. And they either put you in elementary chemistry or Gen Chem 1. And I went to UT. And honestly, like I, I got my ass kicked a lot in a lot of classes at first because I didn't know how to study. And then I thought about, and I'm thinking about like the skills that I had and how I had to teach myself how to study. And I learned from people that knew how to study and were doing well. And I immediately said, well, what are you doing? Because previously I could just pay attention in a class and I knew I could get a C or a B anytime. But then I got to, you know, 100 question multiple guess tests for biology. And that became really hard. And that was because I didn't know how to play that game. And so I was struggling with these tests and, and I was getting upset and it was, it was basically, um, you know, pre-med or general biology was killing me. Um, and I was, and I didn't really figure out that I was good at science till post biology. So I didn't really have a, a good high school background. Um, but the whole point of me saying this and bringing up affirmative action is, is let's say I, because I had a high ACT score, could have gotten into a school that I wasn't really prepared for, which, you know, University of Toledo isn't a bad school. They're known for engineering. They're known for pharmacy. Their goal, I mean, they, they had a limited selection on who they were going to take to get a PharmD, to get it in the program. And honestly, people that didn't get into pharmacy got into med school. So it was like, it was really competitive back then. And I quickly realized that, um, yeah, I don't want to take I don't want to take college this seriously. Like I want to take it serious and I want to learn, but I don't want to sacrifice the lifestyle that I want to have of learning how to be an adult 
and just study all the time so I can go get this job that I don't even know if I'm going to want. And thank God I didn't. Like, I, it's weird. Like, yeah, it's my, my, my roommate that's a pharmacist. Now he's a college professor, but he had worked in a pharmacy and he knew that he want, that's what he wanted to do. Um, and so I just kind of think about that stuff because let's say I, I would have I failed miserably in Gen Chem 1 had I actually studied for that exam, I think. But because I could get taking elementary chemistry first and figuring out, um, you know, figuring out how to study, learning how to study that first semester and kind of taking things easy, I think helped me out quite a bit, man. And I think it, it could have really fucked me up psychologically had I not. And, and, and that's what I think. And I, and I didn't really think about that, but I've been listening to so much Thomas Sowell and he talks about kids that get pushed into schools where they're not really ready for that type of challenge or they're not really ready for that. It, it does more harm than good. And that's why there are so many college dropouts um, amongst minorities, specifically, you know, American blacks. Well, I think there's a few things. Firstly, yeah. there's the idea that what we need to do is we need to shuttle people through this educational system yeah. like a factory line yeah. and shuttle them out with degrees that then enable them to perform very specific functions. So there's that whole conveyor belt system. And then the question is, once you've settled on that conveyor belt idea... If people from a particular ethnic group or, you know, uh, racial group, right, are not getting into that or gender group or whatever, you know, whatever taxonomy you want of grouping humans aren't getting through that production line based on some very high level statistic, right? This is so much of the problem is, is that you know it's just what, what, what data can you capture at the 10,000 foot view? Yeah. Right. Um, then you're like, oh, okay. What we need to do is we need to, you know, feed more of these people into the system. Yeah. And get them on the conveyor belt. But the big problem is that you know, like David Faust yesterday was talking about, the problem is the ten thousand foot view in general. You can't yeah. see shit. No. Like we're down here on the ground in Columbus or in Ohio. And now and we're going through small towns. Um, which... Now we're going through small towns and you're able to see things that I couldn't see when I was flying in over this area. Yeah. And beyond that, you know, even to go back to the beginning of the podcast, okay, I'm driving through small town Ohio, but I'm hanging out with a group of people who are resourceful who are in an emotional state where they're fired up, taking charge of their own destiny and all of that. So it's not like even being on the ground that I'm really seeing the problems of the Rust Belt. I've seen zero heroin addicts, seen zero meth addicts. I haven't seen people who are struggling to feed their kids. And David told that story about, you know, this kid who's very smart, understanding things in class, but isn't learn it isn't completing his homework and then yeah. the teacher got to know him got to go to his house turns out his father's an alcoholic who never leaves his room and there are debt collectors trying to collect money all the time so this third grade kid is having to try and fight off the debt collectors to protect s- his dad to protect his yeah. dad while his and mom's at work that's right now the point is is that what happens if we just look at that kid as a statistic yeah and the statistic of oh, you know, this kid isn't doing his homework. We can see, you know, oh, there's a whole bunch of zeros here. None of this stuff is being handed in. And the point is, that's a problem of statistics, is statistics paint a picture. 
and they reveal some things, but they don't reveal other things. And Mandy Ainsley uh, shared this great quote um, about statistics from, I think it's Aaron Levenstein or something like that, Yeah, that statistics are like a bikini. What they uh reveal is important but what they hide is essential yes and so you know that's the i think the the larger problem you know people get hung up on affirmative action but the larger problem is this sort of top-down statistical approach where we're going to try and make sense of human behavior based on a bunch of statistics and then we funnel those statistics to some guy in an office very far away who then tries to make decisions about what is going on on the ground. Yes. And that was the problem of Robert McNamara in the Vietnam War. That was the pro- That's the problem with a lot of this educational stuff. Rather than that we're really trying to empower people on the ground who are there to make the decisions that make sense locally and that you know there's a there's a healthy ecosystem of information flow and you know i brought up the last time the toyota production system and that's how you can run a culture and run an organization where you understand that the guy who puts the wheels on the car knows fuck tons more about putting wheels on the car than the guy who is in the head office and you know is looking at the high level statistics so it's not that you don't have the statistics you're just aware of what do statistics tell you and what do they not tell you yeah um and that's that's the big problem is that you know it's a it's it's it is this sort of media darling celebrity culture the magical ceo the magical department of defense the magic podcaster and you know he spouts some statistic and you're like man he knows what's going on on the ground and but he doesn't he does spends time on the ground that's right i think that's it i think you know with the sample hour and just my life and living my values it's important to me that i you know just talking to derek uh Shit, that was yesterday, man. We did so much yesterday. It feels it like it was two days ago. jam-packed day. Yeah. Derek Shinska. Yeah, so talking to Derek Shinska yesterday, you know, how do we build these neighborhoods? And, it, you know, it's ground-up innovation, man. It's 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 crazy people like me. It's it's finding people in the community that want to take ownership. Um, farmers markets, stuff like that, man. Stuff where you're, you're forcing community. Not forcing community. You are... Um, inspiring community inspiring community you're 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 helping with infrastructure infrastructure to to for this community to to build and thrive um and you're empowering people yeah you gotta empower people you gotta empower and so yeah so it's little things like we're gonna cut the grass and everybody gets street lights in detroit now i mean you know when we went down from detroit to columbus i'm like it's totally different vibe in this city right like it's a totally it's a it's like it's like going to another country. Um, that's what's so interesting about it. And, you know, and I'm going to show you today, like we're going to go visit my grandfather and I'll show you because I showed you where I grew up when we moved to Columbus, but I'm going to show you where we moved from and the culture shock my brothers and I had going from a small railroad town that originally was a man camp for the railroads in the, you know, in the 20s through the the 40s until the 50s when those man camps started having families and raising kids there um and now that you know the railroad isn't what it used to be this town is still there 
and it's not growing. I mean, I still have a credit union there, and it still has like the. There's a lot of older people there, but those older people are dying, and now there's empty houses there, and it's and it's interesting, man. So it's it's um. That is that is the story of the Rust Belt. It's the same with Youngstown. So the people grow up there, they hate everything about where they live, and so they're like, you know what? I need to leave. I need to go to L.A. or I need to go to New York City or I need to go to um, the Bay Area and become the next media darling tech billionaire. Or I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to become a, a reality TV star. Dude, that actually does solve all your problems. I did that, <laughs> and I'm telling you, fixed. Yeah, but I mean, you know, people think that, you know, something Duncan Trussell said to my buddy... Uh, Izzy Rock, you know, who, who helped me get started when we were doing the Death Squad stuff. Um, Izzy had Duncan on his podcast, and, and D- Izzy was in Dayton. And something that Duncan actually said, uh, you know, really resonated with Izzy is, you know, you can't you can't wear a cat shit necklace around your around your hometown. If you're wearing a cat shit necklace, all you're going to smell is cat shit. But if you look for the opportunity, um. Then it's then you see a lot of different things. It's just something you know, and that was something Derek was talking about. He sees all these opportunities with trade, and then David said the same thing. David Faust said, "I love Detroit because when I go up there, all I do is see opportunity." But that comes down to how emotions shape your reality, yeah. and you know, I mean, this is uh, you know, this is my favorite line from Hamlet: "There's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so." Yeah. So if you think your hometown's a piece of shit. Well, it's going to look like a piece of shit, and all you're yeah. going to see are its faults. But if you think that your hometown is a gold mine with lots of unexplored and unexploited opportunities, then you're going to just see opportunities everywhere. Absolutely. And I mean, even like, you know, hanging out with you and Rich, I mean, it's been interesting because I, you know, it just sort of, it's, you know, constantly realizing how your culture blinds you and, you know, just how you guys see. Uh, the world around you in terms of you see that there are all these edible plants everywhere. Yeah. And of course, that's how hunter-gatherers, you know, who had evolved a culture that was a local culture would have seen the world. But it's certainly not how I see it. I see that there's nothing to eat around and then you walk into the grocery store. Yeah. And so that's, it's great, you know, another time to put on the white belt on put the white belt back on and start to detribalize there because how cool to be able to see food everywhere and see things that can be forged from the environment. Yeah. And it's, it's a fun thing to do. And I think, uh, you know, my, my buddy, Kevin Geary, he, um, he does, he has, you know, rebooted body, uh, com and Kevin, um, he was at that first school sucks, uh, Thaddeus Russell event. And, um, you know, one thing I, I did, because Kevin's big on, you know, what do you, like, unlearn what you think you need to know about how to get in shape and what you need to eat. Stop worrying about diets. Get off your scale and just focus on eating real food. Right. Like, focus on eating real food and doing activities that you enjoy doing. So one thing I did when I first, I signed up for Rebooted Body and I've, you know, I've, I could definitely... I need it, you know. I, I definitely, my goal is definitely to drop some more poundage, but I, I, it didn't come on overnight, so I don't have the expectation it's going to come off overnight. So, you know, one thing that I said is, "Hey guys, here is if you want to go for a nature walk, here is what you could forage right now." 
And there was this cool thing that was going on in the chat. And they're like, oh, that's such a great idea. Because, you know, it's a, it's, it's a cool hip thing right now to know that that stuff like it's it's a it's a hip thing that's coming back to to forge and learn to hunter gather and and the nice thing is too something you were talking about is how do we make it so people can go out in the world and not have to to worry or or stress about things and and do the things they want to do with their lives and it and it's the same thing right like it'd be easy for me to get on a pedestal and talk shit on industrial ag but if it wasn't for industrial ag, it wouldn't be fun to go learn how to forge. It'd be something I had to do to survive. Like that's what my grandfather had to do. And so it's, you know, that's, and that's, that's something that we need. Like what we were talking about yesterday is industrial ag came out of people starving in the great depression and not having any other options. And so, you know, and, and I think there's going to be, you know, there's probably going to be a great innovation that comes to, that we don't know what's coming and there's going to be a trade-off with that too and that's something you know thomas soul is always talks about is you know everything has a trade-off and there's no free lunches well and crucially it's just the nature of uh innovation and human progress is is that you solve the present problem and then you're like man we solved that problem and it's only until you start to scale that solution yeah. that the new problem becomes obvious so yeah. If you think about the experience of industrial ag, you have this problem of people, the Great Depression, people starving, soup lines, all of that. This is Kenton, Ohio, by the way. Shout out okay. Kenton, Ohio. Kenton, woo woo. Kenton's the biggest city that we go through on this 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 path before this we get expedition. back to the yeah. Before we get to like twenty three again. Um, and twenty three is the Hillbilly Highway. Yep, reading right in Route twenty three. Um, so. But, you know, I mean, they, they were trying to solve that problem. And then suddenly, you know, it's only pretty far down the line that the obesity thing becomes clear. Yeah. And we couldn't have foreseen that. No. Um, and humans are in general terrible at that. And it's going to be the same thing. Yeah. Humans are awful at predicting the future. At awful. Um, and so I think the, the best thing that we can do is to approach the approach the changes that we're trying to make with a sense of humility and understanding that i mean and this is why you know jenny aguilar's concept feisty face it evolution is smarter than you is to approach everything that has evolved with the humility and respect to trying to understand why it evolved that way what it does knowing that there are aspects of the system that uh you don't understand and then to, you know, explore, experiment, try and fix. And then you have to be responsive to the system. And this is part of what I talked about with Rich this morning on the porch was, you know, he is a gardener. And this is the Gardens of Democracy thing, the book yeah. you don't necessarily need to read. Um, but, you know, he is a gardener, understands that it's a complex ecosystem. And what he's trying to do is nudge and curate the ecosystem to produce the results that he wants. Yeah. But he doesn't have like some ideological idea of this must be this way. And yeah, you, all you're doing is arguing with reality. If that's what you do. And, and there's and no point. Yeah. You're not going to win. I mean, you want to have a conversation with reality. Correct. And I, you know, my, my good buddy, Javin Bernakovich, um, you know, I signed up and he's got a, you know, a life, all points, life design course. He's a, he's a guy from, permaculture and he kind of does like some some life coach stuff that he hates that term but i i did his course and it was it was really helpful and he, he said you know there's 
there's your business, there's other people's business, and then there's God or nature's business. You can control your business. That's it. And even and you can control how you react to the things you can't control. And that's all you can really focus on. And if you try to control or change anything else, essentially all you're doing is arguing with reality. And that's the serenity prayer. God grant me the strength to change the things that I can, courage to accept the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, and, I, and, and so when you work with nature, which is exciting, is... You know, humans, when they have their land, and you look at like a, you know, and, and we're talking about design, and, um, you know, one thing that Rich always talks about, because he's such a good systems thinker and, and a designer, is he'll say, you know, there's a type one error with the design of your house for our farm. And the design of our house is that the, the only place that I can really see trays and, and leave the microgreen trays out or sitting and shut them off away from the animals um, is in the basement. And the problem is, is that the basement, um, I think like 10 years before, the basement would have had easier access to the back, to the outside. Um, but because it was a 1948 uh, post-World War II home, they were like the quick, quick, you know, ranch homes. And they were moving away from, you know, uh, canning in your basement and stuff. And I don't know if you noticed this, but my next door neighbor's house, the blue house, um, that where they had the greenhouse and they had the, the woodworking and the canning area in their basement, they have outdoor access from their basement. And it's, a, and it's, and it's, and it's one of those things. So it's a type one error. So we just call it the urban farming workout because we got to carry these trays up and down the stairs and it's, yeah. and it's just some nice functional training. But the point that I'm trying to say is I could get upset about that and I could just say, you know, this house, you know, that I have to do so much more work because of this house. Or I can just accept the fact that I bought a house and I decided to live in an older house because it was less money. Um, you know, I could have spent half of what I paid for my house to build a, a tiny house that's much smaller with, a, with no plot. But I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to live in an existing tiny house from 1948. And... So, and it's the same thing. So, you know, I could get upset about it or I could just work with it. And it's the same thing. People want to have a garden in a certain area of their land. And, but a lot of times nature doesn't like where you put your garden. So it always ruins it for whatever reason. And it turns out one other area of your land gets way more sun. And you have to, you have to, you have to put your garden there instead. And you could either argue with reality or you could just deal with it and work with it and have that conversation. It's the same thing with us as people. You know, certain people um, don't, you know, certain people like to do things in a certain way and they like things to be a certain way. And if, if it's not a big deal for you, you can, you can just work with it. It might not be your preferred thing, but it's not as big of a deal for you. So you just work with it. And I think, you know, that's interdependence. Like there's certain things. Rich likes to have clean counters. And I actually like having clean counters. But I didn't necessarily like doing the work. But it's not really fair for me to have Rich clean the counters all the time. That's not very good for the ecosystem of the house. So I'm going to clean counters. You know what I mean? I, I think I'm making myself clear. Am I making myself clear? Well, the point is being responsive to the environment yeah. rather than being in your head and just sort of having whatever abstract idea you have. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, I I believe that this is what would be called Wu Wei in Chinese philosophy. Um, so the point is, is that you know, this is really what Taoism is about: is that rather than trying to impose your ideas or your view on the world, you respond to and work with the world. And that's a lot of what you know hunter gatherers do, right? Yeah. They navigate the environment, and that's what we want to do: is be navigating the environment, and then figuring out. Sometimes there are things that you can change and that you want to change. So you know, okay, I'm navigating the environment, but I'm navigating the environment based on certain cultural assumptions about myself or my intelligence that I picked up that aren't helpful. And you know, for me. The much bigger opportunity, rather than affirmative action, is to finally put the whole idea that skin color and intelligence are linked out of business. Yeah, and that's that's one of those obstacles where we have the ability to remove that obstacle. And Absolutely. If we can remove that obstacle, then what you've now done is you've articulated a much better narrative. And you know the narrative about human intelligence in general is problematic because it's not based on the idea of humans being socially intelligent. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, um, and that's something uh, you know, I figured out at a younger age, and um, me and my good buddy Brandon Farley had a conversation about it. Is intelligence is just self-awareness, and if you're not self-aware, you you can't be socially intelligent. Like, I, and one thing that I I try to do is make everyone feel comfortable. You can make everyone feel comfortable and feel okay, just okay. People are gonna like being around you, and it's it's gonna be a le- way more pleasurable experience. And so there's things that you know you have to do to, for that trade-off to work big place. Like if if I had a weird thing where I, I sucked on my thumb or picked my nose or constantly passed gas. That's not really a good way to make other people feel comfortable around you. So is this a way of talking about my farting, Drew? No, I didn't know you were farting. <laughs> no, so I had no idea. But what I'm saying is... I have not been farting, for the record. Yeah, but it's like that self-awareness. You're Like, you are aware of your... Po- like, just like you are aware of how you say right or you have your mental things. I'm aware of how I say like a lot. And I try to remove... I, I really try hard to stop using the word like. Or how much I use profanity, and now I'm getting older, and I'm listening to Thomas Sowell, and I'm like, man, he doesn't he doesn't use profanity at all. Like it's it's fun to use it, and I have fun. And if we're like last night, I if we're all goofing around and laughing, like the cuss words are gonna fly out a lot more. But if we're a lot more chill, um, it's not you know there, there's not as much use to be as provocative if it's just two people. Like if it's just two people sitting here. Well, it's again, it's environmental, it's context yeah, dependent. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I mean, the point is, is that Thomas Sowell is also having to navigate within the culture of academia yeah. and trying to get messages heard within that community uh, against a lot of cultural barriers and cultural obstacles. So, you know, he has to dress a particular way, he has to talk a particular way because people are already going to try and. Uh, you know, discredit not listen him. to him, discredit him, call him an Uncle Tom, call him an Uncle Tell him Tom. he's not a real black. Yep. Um, because of what he's saying. So if they're going to try and do that anyway, you know, what else can he do to minimize their ability to do that? And I think in in general, 
they've largely within academia. I mean, we talked to you know Thaddeus was talking about Glenn Lowry, who you know also happens to have more melanin in his skin than village most of, of us. We're in the village of Dunkirk. It's not Dunkirk, France. But, oh, okay. uh, I wonder. It it probably does have French roots. Probably. Like most American cities, if they're just like how Dublin does have Irish roots. But does Athens, Ohio have Greek roots? I don't know. I think it's also just that, you know, they're like, what the fuck are we going to name this place? Yeah. And then here's a name. But so, you know, Glenn Lowry, who happens to have more melanin than uh, most of us in this car. Yes. Um, and, you know, he has gone on his own intellectual journey and... I think I can't remember. He was a liberal and then a conservative, or a conservative and then a liberal, and now mostly he's just trying to figure things out. Yeah. Um. And anyway, so Thaddeus went and interviewed him, and you know he's essentially being marginalized and isolated on the Brown University campus, where he doesn't really have a voice and he doesn't really get to communicate. And I think that's what's. The- Dairy, dairy Dream, Dream representing a Dunkirk. Wow. I'm not sure if it used to be a Dairy Queen and they lost their franchise rights. They have soft serve, but well, I you'd have to look at also the thing is so this is always a big thing in LA. You have these structures that are fairly anonymous structures and then they just replace what's on top. Yeah. So you can you take this low one-story structure, you put a cross on it. Mm. You put a burger on it. You put a pizza on it. You put a, you know, agency logo or an acting house logo what's that place with all the shit on the walls shenanigans 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 pub to the left um but that's what's exciting about the internet is is that thomas soul you know his his ideas aren't getting heard on college campuses and we get to have these podcasts and we can create a community of 30 million people we're fucking obsessed with Thomas Sowell. Yeah. And I think that would be cool as shit. Well, it's there's a lot of YouTubers that are that have found like his old talk book talks on like old school radio shows, like calling radio shows that you could watch on TV or the old um and actually the uh the Hoover Institute has actually done a great job of finding a lot of the old his old appearances and putting it on their YouTube channel for the Hoover Institute and because they also have Uncommon Knowledge, um, which is Peter Robinson's show. And Peter Robinson, he's, he's like the, he's a really good professional interviewer, but it's never really off the cuff. It's very planned. He has these excerpts and he'll, he'll pick Thomas Sowell's brain and he'll, he'll say, Hillary Clinton says this. What's your opinion on that? <laughs> or listen to, listen to this by Obama. What's your opinion on that? that? And he, just kind of it just kind of dismantles the the clever tools of intellectuals as he says and it's it's always like a, a misdirect or it's always a self-fulfilling prophecy usually with interaction intellectuals like i know best because i i am self-proclaimed x y and z um well and that's i mean this is this gets to thad's point that's yeah. uh, that's truth yeah. The point is, is that, you know, I know this because blah, 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 blah. And then I puff out my chest and I use a bunch of fancy words you don't know. And then you are cowed and you don't question what they're saying. And that's how they're able to, you know, that's power. That's real yeah. power. If you can perpetuate your story as the truth and no one dares question the wizard, then he has power. And you only really 
challenge the power of the, t- the wizard when Toto pulls the curtain back and then you dare to peek behind the curtain and you yeah. see the mismatch bet- behind, between the man behind the curtain and the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I think um, I, I think that's it's great. And I think especially when you can uh, intelligently defend yourself uh, with conversation or with posing questions. And I think you know, I sometimes I get carried away, and it's it's fun to troll because it's fun to get people fired up. And I think trolling we we talked about it before. I think it does serve a purpose because it does make people think. And I think being provocative does the same thing. And I think Thad is really good at that. Like, Thad is really good at framing an argument in a certain way that makes you think. And it, and it's even if it's not his argument to make, he just likes that doing those exercises. And I think I think that is the, uh, the power in that. And I think, you know, so being able to ask questions and, and, and I think what what we all really want with with coming together and talking is people to ask questions like ask questions don't be afraid to ask questions i know there are certain things i was scared to ask questions about and something that we you know you and rich talked about extensively was you know the charles murray study which you know it and i i remember hearing uh brett talk about it a while ago with that about how it is a uh it is a uh um they don't they don't say that we found this but they 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 put it there so other people can and they put it there to tap into you know the the eugenics and that the whole idea that certain races are smarter than others um most likely because they want to sell books and make money yeah, and you know, there's no. I mean, it's it's a great marketing scheme to yeah. say, "Oh my God, these scientists from Harvard are saying that there may be a link between race and IQ. This thing we can't talk about may be scientifically true." And the basic problem is, is that that's a great soundbite. It's a great headline. It and is. And then the number of the amount of science that you actually have to walk people through. In order for them to get that this is this is a really problematic narrative and doesn't make sense based on the evidence, is huge. And that's it's that's the basic problem is is that those easy narratives are easy. And then you know how long were we talking to Rich for? It was a few hours, and it was something that I I knew these concepts, but I knew there'd be a day to where I could get you and Rich in a room, and I knew there'd be a day for you to take down. Rich's, Rich's uh, boyfriend, boyfriend Sam Harris, <laughs> and and it was it was so interesting to me because there was the the anti there was the conflict that I'd always see in Rich, which is the um, the anti-statism mixed with the anti-theism, and anti I mean and, and it's like you know so for somebody because statism is is in a sense a religion. In a lot of ways, especially the way people pledge allegiance to the flag, and we could go down the list of how it is a religion. It is a religion, and everything is a cult. And so, for for Sam to posture the way he does about anti-religion, to to posture the way that he does, and then go full libtard, and it was it was a great conversation to where Scott Adams really just 
got Sam all, all hot and uh, bothered. Hot bothered. And he would just pose questions. Well, you know, it could also be presented this way. And and Scott Adams is always a guy that says, I don't feel this way. I didn't vote for Trump. I'm just trying to offer you an alternative reality. And there's two realities going on in this country right now. And neither of them see the other person's perspective. And there's just two different narratives, which are two realities. And I remember because I thought I was pretty convinced Trump was going to win. And I remember my friend uh, Damon and I sitting at uh, a restaurant, old school, having drinks and wings and saying it was the night before the election. And we were just like, and there was this thing that came out that the market was actually... They said the market in the U.S. or some currency trade looked identical to what it did before uh, the Brexit happened. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we think this is a good sign. I mean, this is something that we we wanted to see. Like I was I wasn't going to vote for Trump, but I would have preferred to see Trump get elected over Hillary for multiple reasons. I mean, not not that that I feel like he really represents me, but you know, something that we've talked about is it, it it pulled the it showed the emperor with no clothes, and it was something that. You know, I wasn't going to cast that as my protest vote, but I was down for people to do it. And it was it was one of those things. I didn't want to fully commit, but I wanted to watch the chaos ensue. And Damon was did he did vote for Trump and he was all about it. And we were like, you know, are we wrong? We're going to find out tomorrow if we've been living in the wrong reality. Like we're going to find out if this is if this reality that we think we're in is real or not. And we were pleasantly surprised. We were happy to watch the meltdown on the Young Turks and laugh about that and everything else. And then I was happy to see status quo kind of keep going, even with Donald Trump, just so it was like a way for people to... I mean, it. It. it Donald Trump is serving a purpose. And I don't want to... And I, I bring him up a lot in the conversation because he is... He's just like how Sam Harris is a major tool for educating people. So is Donald Trump. And I think that's that's the powerful thing. So to, to tie it back in, you know, Sam Harris's meltdown with um, Scott Adams, and you know, Rich listens to Sam's podcast so much, and he he has a lot of respect for Sam Harris because Sam Harris helped Rich overcome his Christian fundamentalism, and it, it helped him get out of that tribe and. But he, what he didn't see was that he was in a new tribe. And slowly after you and Rich talking for probably two and a half to three hours this morning and having a really good conversation and, and, and him asking you questions and you giving him answers, and it helped Rich kind of see the bigger picture of... And, and I think at the end, it was the first time I've heard Rich say this because he said I'd tell him, like he'd call me a fundamentalist because I'd be joking around with him. And I'd get them all fired up, and I'd say on the podcast, "Yeah, you know, Rich is a uh, uh, an atheist fundamentalist." And then my friends would send him, "Hey, may may God bless your day today," and stuff like that. And I'd always just have fun with Rich because, you know, that's the type of guy I am. You know, and also too, like we live together, and I think a lot of times I'm a firm believer in something I learned in network marketing was. When you were presenting this idea of how you could make money that was totally alien to most people, um, it you didn't want it to come from your mouth because it the law of familiarity. Like you know, Rich is really familiar with me. Like Rich used to like me, 
as a podcast host and probably listened to me differently when we didn't live together because, you know, he, he didn't really see see as much human as me he saw i mean it's i try to put a lot of human in my podcast but it just it changed our relationship it changed our relationship changed this weekend by us hanging out together and i think it, you know and that's kind of the fun thing about the internet and coming there so when you can come and be the 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 expert on the science studies or on this uh cultural revolution and and kind of the us pushing for our culture to move in a new direction. Um, it was it was good to see Rich say, you know, I thought I didn't see the tribe of the new atheists, but now I do. Yeah, and and it was and that was like a really cool thing. So, well, but also, I mean, you know, uh, Thad Russell in two podcasts has probably achieved more with Brian Callen the emperor than yeah. i have in hundreds which is brian callen has known you since you were a baby yeah well and that's part of it is he's known me since i was a baby right yeah. like i'm like you know a kid brother or a nephew or something like that and you know i brian i think respects me and you know i mean oh, he, I, he I have thinks a, you're smart yeah you know? he thinks i'm smart and all that sort of stuff but so much of it is humans. It's one thing to hear it from one person, and it's another thing to be hearing it from multiple people. And so that's the point. Because is, people don't hear what you say. Well, and they need they to hear, hear what it you say, keep saying. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. That's exactly right. And you yeah. need to hear the stories told in many ways and in, by many different people. And that's why it's, you know, I think that's why it's so important to connect the dots and why so much of what's going to make this effective is empowering lots of podcasters. That's the end of the show. All you need to do to hear the rest of it is go to Patreon and become a patron. Thank you guys so much for listening and look forward to bringing you more episodes soon.